This is Jumpin' Joe Wiley, and you're listening to 101.7 WKOM Columbia. You're listening to Bulletproof Estate Planning, the show where you gain clarity and understanding about such things as last will and testament, the probate process, trusts, and how not to lose everything you own to the high cost of the nursing home. Now here's your host, Estate Plan Stan. Hey, good day to you. Good day to you on this August the 12th, 2023. Hey, you're listening to Bulletproof Estate Planning with your host, Estate Plan Stan. I am Stan Pierchowski with Pierchowski Estate Law, Pierchowski Elder Law, located on the square in beautiful downtown Pulaski, Tennessee. As you know, Bulletproof Estate Planning is the show where we talk about all things estate planning. If it has to do with estate planning, we get around to it on this show at one point or another. We talk about the last will and testament. We talk about revocable living trusts. We talk about irrevocable living trusts, special needs trusts, asset protection trusts, And we talk about 10-care planning, both pre-planning and crisis planning to help keep you from going broke in the nursing home. And crisis planning is where we are today and have been for a couple weeks and going to pick up on. So, as always, I encourage questions. So, this show is all about education on what your options are. So, if you have a question, you can call me at 931-363-7222 or you can go to my website, my website at estateplanstand.com. That's E-S-T-A-T-E-P-L-A-N-S-T-A-N.com. Estateplanstand.com. There you can find my email and you can ask me that way. You can find my phone number and you can call. Or you can find my calendar and you can see what's coming up. Always enjoy doing this show here on Front Porch Radio, WKOM 101.7 FM in Columbia, Tennessee. want to remind you that all my episodes that we do of a bulletproof estate planning are posted as podcasts on the WKOM website. So if you ever miss one or you want to go back and review a topic, it's all there for you to do so. All right. So let's talk about what's coming up. The next seminar, uh, we're moving a little north of Columbia. The next seminar is going to be up in Franklin. Up in Franklin, we do it at a place called Suite 501. Now, it has a physical address of 416 Mary Lindsay Polk Drive. That's in Franklin. So the the address is 416 Mary Lindsay Polk Drive, Suite 501, Franklin, Tennessee. And if you haven't been to one of my live seminars and you're listening to me on the radio, you might want to come to one of those. I mean, you might. I think you'd enjoy it. Most people that do, do enjoy it. It's very informative. It's pretty fact-packed for the whole time. Uh, but if you are interested in going, don't wait too long to RSVP for that one because uh, unlike the one, the venue we use in Pulaski and the venue we use in Lawrenceburg, that one's a little more limited for how many seats we have. I think it seats about 50. And that's, you know, 40 to 50 is about the usual attendance, you know. Uh, so, uh, you know, get on that list because we may have to generate a wait list on that. Now, if we do, if you are on the wait list, don't uh, worry about it because I think last time we were up there, we had a wait list, but we had a couple people that canceled out real close to the last minute. And I think we managed to get everybody on the wait list to get a seat for them. And, you know, they have chairs, they have tables and chairs there. And, you know, if we get a couple of flowovers, I'm pretty sure we can get seats and put them 
in between things and find room for them. I just don't know how many. Uh, you know, we can't get crazy with it because it, it is limited in size. It's a real nice place, though. has a real big TV that I, I don't even have to carry my big TV up there. I can just plug into theirs. they got a couple on the walls, although it's such a small place, there's no need to be looking at the other TVs, but they're there. And, uh, you know, they've got nice little tables. have got a nice little kitchen area, though, so we have some uh, light refreshments there. So we, we've got something to eat and drink. Again, that's and uh, that is going to be on August the nineteenth. I told you all about it, and I forgot the date. <laughs> that's on August the nineteenth, which is a Saturday. Actually, it's Saturday from today. Now that I think about it, uh, August the nineteenth, and we we have Saturday or webinars or seminars. We always do them at ten o'clock in the morning. So August the nineteenth at ten a.m. Saturday at ten in the morning at the Suite Five Hundred One up in Franklin, Tennessee. Uh, sign up for that RSVP for it. I mean, I like to know a headcount, and it's not—it's not a formal registration. Uh, we like to have a headcount so we know, you know, if we can fit everybody, how much refreshments to bring, that sort of thing. But you know, if you can't make it to the last minute, give us a call. We'll see where the uh, status stands as far as uh, how many seats we've already got spoken for. We try to accommodate. We do the best we can. So anyway. All right, I think we'll just kind of pick it up where we left off last week because we have parked ourselves in this concept of crisis planning. And it's kind of a long-involved topic, so I spend several weeks on it. And But it's it's worth it. You know, it's really worth it because we talk about things that most people just don't understand, just don't get, just can't find the information they need. So it's it you know it needs to be talked about and it needs to be understood. Now, don't do a real deep dive into some of these things because most of them are not really do-it-yourself kind of things. And we talked last week about the do-it-yourself 10-care application and how nine times out of 10, that ends up being a disaster. I will say, though, when I say nine times out of 10, it doesn't work out very good. <clears throat> I will say every now and then somebody does a do-it-yourself application and it is successful. What I have found with the ones I've seen that were like that is that the person is pretty much indigent. You know, indigent means you're pretty much broke. You don't have anything. Or all you have is your personal residence. And and they can exempt that. So uh, you pretty much are eligible by default by, at that point. So, you know, if you are indigent or you don't have anything or your loved one doesn't have anything, you don't need me to help get them eligible for 10 care. I mean, you just fill it out. And if you haven't got anything, you'll, you're, you're there. What we do in this office is we take people who have worked all their lives, them and their spouse have worked all their lives, and they've created wealth. They created their nest egg. They created their their accumulated lifetime wealth, and we 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 do these divestments and we do these conversions from countable to non-countable property for them, so that they can keep their lifetime wealth and not lose it all in the long the cost of long-term care. That's what we do here. So there are some do-it-yourselfers that are successful, but I'd venture to say there there's not and there probably none, if not if very few, that re, that involve complicated strategies that are successful from a do-it-yourselfer. Because as you know, I've been talking about this. I think it's almost five weeks now, five Saturdays in a row. We've been talking about at least two or three just on the concept of divestment, and we're going to continue with divestment. We're not even going to get close to the end of it today. So, we, you know, we were talking about these divestments. We talked, let me just quick review what they were. You know, we talked about what a divestment is. 
And that's the legal term, divestment. Sometimes you'll hear me use the word uncompensated transfer or sometimes a gift. So by definition, a divestment is a transfer of an asset for less than fair market value. So a gift means you give the whole thing away and get nothing for it. Less than fair market value is when, you know, when we talked about the overpayment or the underselling, where you give something away for a super reduced price versus what it, its fair market value. Or you pay way over the uh, cost for something. You know, but in both situations, you're trying to get rid of money and you're sort of doing it with a family member probably and you're sort of padding the bill or, or seriously selling something super cheap to a child. And they're going to ding you for that. They're going to call. They're going to call the part that you are overpaying for or not paying for at all in underselling as a divestment. So anytime, pretty much anytime you give up an asset or the control of an asset, they're going to call it a divestment. Okay, we talked about the direct transfer and the gift. You know, uh, where people just give money away. Okay, just write a check and say, "Here you go," and they give it to them. Uh, we mentioned earlier about overpayment, paying more than what something's worth. The, the extra you give away above fair market value is a divestment. You've, it's a gift you're giving away to the person you're giving it to. If you undersell it, you know, if you've got something worth $100 and you sell it for $50, you got a $50 divestment because you've given away value. No no money really changed hands other than the, the fair market value of 50 but that's only half the fair market value. So they will ding you for that. We talked about creating joint ownership. And if you put a child on your bank account, or especially on real property, that's going to be a divestment. So we're going to pick it up here, and we're going to talk about immediate annuities, and we're going to talk about promissory notes. But I'm not going to talk very long about these, because these are one of the strategies we will talk about in, in detail in a couple of weeks to come. So, but basically, when I'm talking, you know, everybody's heard about an annuity, right? Annuity is kind of when you take money, typically a lump sum, or you can have ones where you pay out over time. But let's say you take a lump sum, $100,000, you give it to an insurance company, they invest it, and the terms and conditions are at some time in the future, like when you're 65 or 70 or something, they'll start paying you back this $100,000 as a monthly uh, annuity payment. And now the money will have grown, okay, depending on when you bought it, but you put $100,000 in, you know, 20 years ago, now it's worth 150000 and they will start paying back. And it's designed to have a stream of income for your retirement years, right? That's sort of the idea behind it. Now, this is called an immediate annuity, which means you buy it and it starts paying back immediately, like the very next month. Promissory notes are similar, but uh, we're going to talk more about these, but, basically, but you got to watch out because... When you buy an annuity, that's counted as a stream of income. But the problem is you have to be in, you know, you have to be income qualified. And basically, you know, the, the cost of care, most of your income goes to the cost of care. Now, if you're single, all your income goes to the cost of care, which means any of these annuity payments would. And we don't want that. So what we have to do is cash them out. But then when you cash them out or do a cash surrender, now you have the lump sum value, Right. Now you have a resource, and we have to deal with the resource. But uh, these immediate annuities, if you buy one of these and say, I'm going to buy one right now and start have it start paying immediately, that's what people do when they're worried about going into long-term care. Nobody would do that normally. And they think they're getting rid of their money. Now, if you do that, it can be a divestment. You might say, well, wait a minute, Stan. I turned it from a countable asset, 
money in the bank, to a stream of income. And that's right, you did. And you can do that, but you got to follow the rules to do that. Okay? So if you buy a, what they call a single premium immediate annuity, it's called a SPIA, S-P-I-A, single premium immediate annuity. So if you fork over $100,000 and say, I want it to start paying me back next month. So it's August the 12th. I want it to start paying back 1st of July. And you can buy those and they'll do it. But it, it's going to be considered a divestment unless you satisfy certain rules. And the rules come from the Deficit Reduction Act of 2005, which Tennessee adopted in 2006. And I'll go over these in a later lesson, but um, uh, let me just go over real quickly. What that means is they have to be actuarially sound. Actuarially sound means if you're 90 years old and you go to the life expectancy tables, right? I mean, they they got these tables. They know how long you're going to live, right? <laughs> or you know, Statistically, right? So if you're 90 years old and you go to it and you're a male, they're kind of gender specific. It'll say you have like 3.2 years left. Now, I don't know what that is, but I'm just spitballing a number. So if you got three years left of expected lifetime, you to get a, one of these immediate annuities that's compliant, you can't, you can't, you can only get it for 3.2 years. If you get it for 30 years, that's from he's 90 years old, that is not actuarially sound, right? And so that's one of the requirements we have to satisfy for them to not consider it a divestment. The other thing is it has to be irrevocable and unassignable. You know, TenCare lets us do a lot of stuff. But what they're worried about is if you do it, we want to make sure you after you get qualified or eligible for care and we start paying your bill, then you can't go turn around and cash this thing out. So if you get this annuity and they, they count it, as they say, okay, that's not a divestment. And then you wait, and you, three months later, your loved one gets approved. And now that they're approved and TenCare is paying the bill, then you turn around and go cash surrender the annuity out. And now you have the asset. They want to prevent that. And so they'll say, well, you can do this with a lump sum of money, but it's got to be irrevocable and unassignable. So once you do it, it is paying back over the life of the annuity. You can't, there's no surrender value. You can't, you can't get your hands back on the asset. You get it, but you get it over the timed payments of the annuity, right? Uh, it's got to be equal amounts every month. You can't do a real low payment, 10 bucks a month, and then have a giant balloon payment at the end. And you got to have, you got to name the ben, uh, the state as a beneficiary in the appropriate position in case, uh, depending on who dies first, if, whether it's uh, a married uh, annuity or a single annuity. Okay, so if it doesn't meet those requirements, they're going to consider it a divestment. So what these are called, are, and we're going to talk about them more, but they're called Medicaid-compliant annuities. And the, the compliant is those things I just mentioned. Okay, so uh, those are, you know, annuities can be a divestment unless they are comply with the DRA of 2005. So let, let me just say an example, okay? And actually, this example came from a case, the case of uh, Stoltz versus Ohio Department of Job and Family Services that, that came out a while back. And it, one of the, you know, they, that prompted the HCFA letter, which, uh, what does HCFA stand for? Let's see. I had it here on the computer. Okay, it stands for the Healthcare Financing Administration back in 1977. And there, what they do is that, you know, they deal with the federal portion of Medicaid and uh, quality assurance activities, that sort of thing. And 
what they issued the uh, HCSA transmittal number 64, and it came out when there was a 10-year annuity on the life of expectancy of somebody that was 80 years old who had a 6.98-year life expectancy. And so they considered the payout in excess of the they, – basically, they said it was not actually sound. And the, uh, the bummer was they considered the entire annuity a divestment. Okay, which is not what we want to do. If we want to use this strategy, we can we can purchase the annuity and have it not be a divestment, which is what we want. Next one I want to talk about is life estates. And, you know, I don't know if most people have heard of life estates. I mean, I hear them called all kinds of things like life dowry or lifetime uh, rights, squatter rights. I mean, you know, people call it all kinds of stuff. But uh, technically, the term is a life estate. What a life estate is. It's when you got an owner of some property and either sells or gifts away the property, but he retains a right to live in it and use it, okay, until his death. So what we're really doing is when you own a piece of property, you own this bundle of rights. And I'm just going to talk about a couple of them, but there's other ones. I mean, uh, the bundle of rights is you can lease it, you can uh, lease portions of it out, you can rent it, all that stuff. But Two of, the, two of the main rights you own is you have the present possessory use of it, which means if it's your house, I mean, you're living there, you're there now, you're using it, and you're living there. That's the present possessory use. And you also own the future interest. So 10 years from now, you own that, right? And what you do with a life estate is when you give it to your kid or you sell it, you say, I'm going to give you this kid. I mean, I'm going to give you this, <laughs> this property child. I'm going to give this to you. But the worry is this. If I deed my property to you now, if I just sign it over, $10, love and affection, here you go, son number one, I'm giving you that family house. Well, once you do that, it all becomes his. And, you know, people say, well, I don't worry about them kicking me off, but he could. He could turn around the very next day and give you the boot because it belongs to him. You have no right to live there. And, I mean, I don't know that they would, but they could. You know, and as an attorney, I have to advise people there's a risk there. Now, a lot of people take the risk and it's okay, but uh, you see where I'm going with it. So uh, what, you, what you do with a life estate is you say, okay, I'm going to sell this to you, but I'm going to retain the present possessory interest. What I'm giving you is the future interest. Sometimes it's called the remainderman. It is the future interest. So the property actually belongs to the child when you deed it to him, but he can't use it because you retained a present possessory interest and you have retained it for a term identified as the length of your life. And that's what they call life estate. And they're very common. But they kind of get in our way because they can be divestments. They often are. Uh, because, uh, okay, how do you make it a divestment? Well, that's what we'll talk about when we come back from the break because there's a methodology here. So there's a way to use life estates in our favor. But there's a way to... We can use them that they're going to get in the way. Because when you have a life estate, sometimes you own an asset that you, can hardly, you can't hardly get rid of. I'll talk a little bit more about that when we come back from the break. So uh, we are coming up on one. So if you uh, want to stay with me or if you want to give me a call, of course, you can't call me right now, but if you've got a question, call me. So um, we're coming up on break number one. So stay with me here on Bulletproof Estate Planning. I'm your host, Estate Plan Stan, and we will be right back.
Hi, I'm Robert Rogers at Parks Motor Sales Buick GMC. Parks Motor Sales was founded by my granddad, Bobby Parks, and my great-granddad, Julian Mays, in 1958. We've been family-owned the whole time, and being family-owned, locally-owned, means you get to get your next vehicle or your existing vehicle serviced by the same people who stand in the grocery line with you, drop their kids off at the same school you do, and smile and are happy to see you when they do. So come see us at Parks Motor Sales in Columbia, Tennessee on 919 Nashville Highway or ParksMotorSales.com. Hello, I'm Barbara Lincoln with Holland's Pharmacy. You may have heard our previous commercials about compression hosiery that we carry at Holland's Pharmacy. Well, we've recently expanded into a full line of knee braces, back, wrist, ankle, and other support wear. We will gladly help you get just the right fit for these items and, of course, special order items to ensure the proper fit. Come see us at Holland's Pharmacy, 1608 Hatcher Lane, or call us at 931-388-4233. 388-4233. Hi, this is Steve, the Garbage Man. Y'all have heard me talk in the past about Packer, our mascot dog. Well, I have some sad news about Packer. She recently crossed over the Rainbow Bridge to join our other beloved pets of the past. Packer lived out her final days on our farm in Water Valley. She had a great 14 years of life after being rescued by Don from being thrown away as a pup in someone's garbage. Rest in peace, Packer. Do you suffer from knee pain? Is it painful to walk or perform your day-to-day activities? If so, we have great news at the Dr. Gill Center. We can relieve your knee pain fast and easy with no downtime and no surgery. The FDA has approved a new non-surgical treatment for knee pain, and it's covered by most major insurance, including Medicare. This treatment has helped millions of people across the nation. Call today to see if you qualify for a free consultation and get back to a pain-free life. 615-551-9224. Let's face it, the world is constantly changing and it is now more important than ever to take care of those who you trust with your business every day. Large and even international competition has made it increasingly difficult to keep your best talent. With Caledonian Financial's local business plan to help, you can give your employees a business package that is competitive and effective for everyone. I'm Thomas Sneed with Caledonian Financial here in downtown Columbia. Securities and investment advisory services offered through NBC Securities Incorporated, member FINRA and SIPC. Front Porch Radio is Southern Middle Tennessee's home for the best in news, talk, and sports. Missed out on any favorite Front Porch programs? Check us out online at frontporchradiotn.com to download episodes of your favorite podcast. Listen live or listen online. Search for it on your favorite podcast app. iTunes, Spotify, Google, and Amazon Alexa. Join us on the porch. Frontporchradiotn.com. Hi, I'm Steve, the Garbage Man. You're listening to Front Porch Radio, 1017 WKOM, Columbia. Right. Hey, welcome back. Welcome back from the break. You are listening to Bulletproof Estate Planning. I am your host, Estate Plan Stan. And before the break, we were talking about all the different divestments. And the one we talked about just before the break was creating a life estate. And life estate, like I said, is 
when you create a life estate, you retain for yourself a present possessory interest, which means you get to live there, you get to use it for whatever term you want to make it. Life estate is usually based on your life. Or if you're a married couple, usually to the lives of both of you. Um, So now what happens with a life estate is at your death or at the death of both of you, the life estate expires worthless. And now the remainderman, which is the child you gave the property to, during your life, he only owns the future interest. And which is called the remainder. So he owns the future interest, but not the present interest. And so when you pass away and the life estate ex- extinguishes, he now owns not only the remainder interest, but also the present possessory interest, where all the bundle of rights of the house are now back in his possession. You know, an interesting side note. Uh, this is just a trivia thing <laughs> for all you out there that enjoy that kind of stuff. And that is. You know, you often hear about a life estate and it's, you know, it's for the rest of your life. In law, you can literally, you can legally base your life estate on anybody's life. You know, like I could, I could say, okay, I'm retaining a life estate and it's going to be for the life of the new king of England, right? I mean, you can do that. I uh, don't know why you would, but, uh, there, you know, there could be a reason. Uh, I, I can probably think of one reason, maybe two. I'm not going to go into it, but uh, it's possible to do that. That's a little-known fact, but uh, just depends on. I mean, you know, if you're living there using it, it only makes sense to make it your life, right? So you can continue to live there and use it. Another thing about life estates is um, I often put in my deeds for life estates some other extinguishment of the life estate other than the death of that person, because you know a lot of times it's people let you do that just because you need a place to live. But suppose you don't occupy it anymore. Suppose you move off to Texas, okay, or get remarried or, or marry somebody and move off to Texas. You still have a life estate and you're not even using it. I mean, that ties up the property for the remainder and, and nobody's even there. So a lot of times I will put in my deeds that the life estate expires on the death of the individual or them not residing and occupying there, not exercising the present possessory interest, or if they voluntarily terminate it. I mean, they may just terminated themselves so uh, that way it's a little more fair to all the parties but for, you know if you don't say anything at all it's for the entire life and again you may not even be living there those are the things that sneak up on you <clears throat> when you're drafting documents so you got to know what you're doing so all right uh the life estate i'm going to talk a little bit more about that because what happens when you give a life estate it's an actual transfer a transfer occurs when you create a life estate and that transfer is considered to be it's considered to be for less than fair market value when the value of the transferred asset which is life or the uh, the uh, remainder interest is greater than the value of the right you retained okay now what do i mean by all that well if you give away the remain let's just say take a father and a child and the father owns the land or me i own the land and i decide to give deed it to my son. And I do, but I say, you know what? I don't want him booting me off here. As soon as I sign this deed, he can give me the boot and I don't want that. So I'm going to retain a life estate based on the length of my life. So I deed it to him. It's in the deed. I give it to him. Now that, you know, one, another thing about life estates is they, they, they are what they call run with the land, not the owner. So if my son sold that life estate to somebody else, 
I mean, if he sold that property to someone else, my life estate remains intact. It doesn't have to do with who owns it. The new owner has to take that with it. Makes it harder to sell sometimes, but, you know, you, they, you can't just sell it to somebody and now they give you the boot. So, but it's a transfer. So, uh, so we now we got to figure out, okay, Social Security uh, through the POMS, man, through the POMS, which the POMS, we, we refer to something called the POMS, which is the Program Operations Manual System, POMS. And that's, you know, that's the Social Security program policy stuff. And in the POMS, they have a, a chart. So if you want to determine the value of a life estate or actually the value of what you gave up, which is the remainder interest, we can do that. So determine the value of, of this. It's a divestment because you're giving it away, right? You're retaining part of it, but you're giving part of it away. So to determine the value of the divestment when you deal with a life estate, um, uh, you, what you do is you take the value of the property and you multiply it by this fraction. And the fraction we get comes from the life estate and remainder interest table that's in the HCFA transmittal number 64. And I happen to have it here. So let's just take a person. Let's just take an age. Let's, let's take my age. If you go to this, if you go to this manual, it gives your age here, and it goes down there. And you know what surprises me is this table goes up to 109 years old so okay um at 109 you actually have a you know i don't know what the life expectancy is but you know maybe an hour or something right <laughs> okay so if you go to like you go to my age which is 67 it has two numbers after that there's three numbers in this whole table it's got three columns one is age then as you go across the table there's a column called life estate and then there's a column called remainder now in life estate at my age is the number, why they do it to five decimal points, I don't know. But it's 0 0.65098 for the life estate. The remainder is 0 0.34902. Now, amazingly enough, these two numbers always, for every age, always add up to one. So they're fractions. And what they're saying is, at 67 years old, if I transfer a piece of property, let's just use nice round numbers and say the properties were $100,000 even. That's easy to do in your head, and we need numbers easy to do in your head when we're talking on the radio. So if it's if that's the case, at my retained life estate interest that I'm retaining for myself is going to be $65,098 for a $100,000 property. Now, if the property is $200,000 or $272,000, you multiply it by this fraction. That's what you get. But I'm using $100,000 because... That's a perfectly easy number when you're dealing with decimals and fractions. So if the number is 0.65 and it's a $100,000 piece of property, my, my life estate that I'm retaining, that I'm not giving away, is worth $65,000. And the other one is $35,000. That's, that's the remainder interest. That's what I'm giving to my son. So which one's the divestment? The one I gave away. So they're going to consider, when I do this life estate, they're going to consider a $35,000 divestment. Okay, now the other thing you have to know about a life estate. I retained sixty five thousand dollars. Now, um, again, that value I said one hundred thousand dollars. That's the value of the property the day that you deeded it away and retained the life estate. That's not. I mean, it's the fractions stay the same, or the fractions are based on age, but the age of, of the time you make the you make the deed transfer and retain the life estate is when we use these fractions. Now. 
I think what's more important here is not only is that a divestment that we have to deal with, I now have, I have retained for myself, you know, people do this and they think they're getting rid of their property. I have just retained and didn't give away 65000 So I still have a primary residence asset of $65,000. Do I not? Of course I do. Now, let's just suppose I have this life estate and it's for the rest of my life. And I thought, you know what? I want to sell this thing. I mean, it's an asset like anything else, right? It's like money in the bank. It's ownership in something. It's ownership in real property. Suppose I want to sell it. Can I? Sure. You can sell it. You can just deed it to somebody. The problem is, who the heck are you going to sell it to? Who would buy it? I mean, let's say I got a life estate and I tell, you know, I put it in the paper, I'm selling this property and somebody comes and looks at it and they say, you know, I'd like to buy this, but how much you, do I have, should I pay for it? I say, And it's like, well, it's you can only have it <laughs> if you buy it. It's only yours until I die because it's already in the deed that it's based on my life. So the buyer's thinking, okay, how do I, how do I know that's 20 years from now or one year from now? I mean, that, that would seriously affect the price, right? So you never, I just don't think you're ever going to get there and nobody ever sells a life. Now, so if you're going to sell the life estate, you got to come up with what it's worth. And I don't know how you could do that. Now, you can sell a life estate because the only person that would really be interested in buying it is the remainderman. So if I've done this and I gave the property to my first, my, my oldest son and I wanted to sell it, he's probably the only one that would have any interest in buying me out, right? Because then he buys me out, that extinguishes the life estate, and he has now all the bundle of rights associated with property, which is where, what's what, I, it's what I intended to do anyway. It just wasn't going to happen to my death. So it's kind of an unmarketable title. Now, if it's an unmarketable title, when we get into our 10-care eligibility and they say, okay, here's your 10-care application, 16 pages long, a couple of those pages say, tell us about your assets. Is your life estate an asset? Well, it's not a trick question, certainly. I mean, it's $65,000 of an asset, and it's an unmarketable asset. So, I mean, could it be categorized as unsellable? Probably not, because the remainderman could buy it. But, I mean, the remainderman could just refuse to buy it, and that's not that doesn't make it unmarketable. Unable to sell it is what it's about, not an unwilling buyer. So it, it becomes problematic. But we do it, you know, they do it all the time. People do it all the time, and we have to deal with it. So let me, let me go over an example with some numbers. These are a little more... Uh, true-to-life numbers, so if you want to write them down, stay with me. Let's take a 60-year-old father, okay, dad. He transfers a $200,000 farm to his son, but he decides he wants to keep a life estate. So the life estate factor for 60 years old is 0.74491 for a 60-year-old person. So the value of the life estate is it's 148982 How do we get that number? It's 200000 which is the property value, times 0.74491. That gives us our 148,982. So if the farm is valued at $200,000, the value of the divestment would be the difference. Okay, the value of the divestment now is going to be $51,008. Okay, which is the $200,000 value minus the value of the life estate, the 148,982, gives us 51,008. So 
if, if the son had paid the father anything for the transfer, so this assumes so far that the father just gave it to the son, right? But if the son had paid anything for the transfer, okay, that reduced the total divestment, wouldn't it? So let's just say the son paid the father $30,000 for this transfer. Okay, the divestment is now going to be that 51008 minus 30000 So now the, the divestment is going to be 21008 But, I mean, we, we're still whole because now we have a 21008 value in a life estate, but we also have the $30,000 cash that the son paid us, right? So, that, you know, that is a life estate. And that's how it works. You're not just giving it away. You're giving away some of it, but you're retaining some of it. And to me, the percentages you retain as a life estate strike me as pretty high. The numbers, I mean, let me look at this table again. The numbers um, for the life estate don't ever, I mean, they only hit 50%. They only hit half at age 76. Okay. You know, now let me, I don't have the, li I don't have the life expectancy tables. Oh, here they are. So let's say if you're 76 years old and you're a male because life expectancy is based on gender. So if you're 76, your life expectancy is 10.58 years, according to them. God bless them. They, they make this table and they, they figure out how long we're going to live. <laughs> God bless them. Uh, I guess you got to nail it down, you know. Uh, and have some standard to deal with. So, you know, if you're going to live 10.58 years, that's what they base this number on. But still, that's only hitting 50% at that age. I mean, let's go to 100. At 100, it's you still, if you if you live 100 years old and you sell a $100,000 house, your life estate is worth 20%. Your life estate is worth $20,000. Now, does that sound realistic? It doesn't to me. But those are the tables they come up with. That's the law. That's what we deal with. That's what we live with. So anyway, so life estates are a way to do deal with property, but they're going to be considered a divestment. Now, let's, in all fairness, you know, we said last week that are all divestments tr trigger penalty periods? Because that's the only thing we're worried about. I mean, all, I've been talking two weeks now about all the different divestments. Well, I said toward the end of last week, I said, you can make a divestment. Are all the And the reason... A divestment is a problem is because it can create a penalty period, right? Well, it can only create a penalty period if the divestment happens within that look-back period, that five-year look-back period. So do all divestments create a penalty period? No, only the ones in the last five years. So just like any of these other divestment strategies, if you want to do it this like this life estate, you can do it in five years from now. It's a divestment, but it's past the look-back period. So when they look back, they can't see it. I mean, they'll see it, but they, they can't do anything about it. They can't, they can't impose the penalty period because it's jurisdictionally outside the 60-month window that they're allowed to look for those things. And they don't even bother. They know how it works. So you can do this life estate, but what you don't want to do, you don't want to be doing this as a last-ditch effort just before you're going in the nursing home trying to get rid of your assets because it will come back and bite you with the penalty period. And if you remember, the penalty period is something we like to avoid because it's kind of harsh. All right, there's a thing called disclaimer, which is a way to uh, make a divestment. <laughs> this one kills me. Suppose somebody has a will or a trust, and at their death they say, I'm leaving, Stan, I'm going to leave you 
$50,000. Okay. Well, let's just say I'm in, I'm worried about going in the nursing home. I've got somebody brilliant like myself working on, <laughs> working on this, my legal end of it and trying to uh, get me qualified. And they're using these, these different strategies. And I suddenly inherit $50,000. And I think, you know what? I'm going to do what's called a disclaimer. Now, you can do that in probate law and trust law. You can disc- If something's coming to you, you can say, you know what? I don't want it. I'm going to disclaim it. And when you do that, you're treated as if you predeceased the person, which means that it typically goes to your kids or something. But you, can, you don't have to take it. You can disclaim it. Now, according to TenCare, or you know, this, is, this is something they adopted as in the, directly in the Medicaid Act, the federal act, but if you disclaim property or funds, that's called a divestment. Why? Because it was legally coming to you. You intentionally got rid of it by disclaiming it and just never took it. And they're going to say, you know what? That was rightfully yours. You gave it up. We're going to call it giving it away to the people it goes to in the will. Because if the will says, if Stan is predeceases me, it goes to his descendants. So if I disclaim it, probate law says it's treated as though I predeceased, so it goes to my kids. They're going to say, we're looking at that just like you got it, you turned around and gave it to your kids. How's that for getting you coming and getting you going? I'm telling you, this is not for the do-it-yourselfer, okay? So, you know, when you think you're smart and you try to disclaim something, and that goes for real property, too. Suppose somebody left me some land. I say, oh, I'm trying to qualify for tenure. I don't want it. I just disclaim it. Well, that's a divestment. And if I do that within, what, 60 months? If I do that within 60 months of going in the nursing home or 60 months of pl- applying for care, they're going to hammer me with a penalty period. You know, when you start to get the hang of it, it's pretty, it's pretty simple. <clears throat> Another one along those lines, which I'll probably have to wait till after the break, but is debt forgiveness. Okay, this works just like the IRS does it. You know, if you, if you loan somebody money and uh, they owe you and you just say, you know what, I'm just going to forgive the, get, the debt. You don't have to pay me back. Well, if it, you know, the IRS is going to consider that income. They're going to impute that upon you because that was supposed to come to you, and it didn't. <laughs> Same thing with 10 care. It's going to be a divestment. So, All right, look, we are coming up on break number two. So stay with me here with Bulletproof Estate Planning. We're going to continue with this concept of, of more divestments. I'm your host, Estate Plan Stan, and we will be back right after this. Do you have a loved one who's either in long-term care or going to be soon? Are you worried about losing everything you own, everything that you've worked for your entire life? If so, we can still do crisis planning and protect the majority of your property. If you have a loved one in this situation, call me, Estate Plan Stan at Prochowski Estate Law. From a little information, I will generate a written report explaining how much property we can protect. Don't go broke just because you require long-term care. Call me, 931-363-7222. Farmer Johnny here, Taylor Family Farm. I want to give you all a little look-see. We raise 100% non-GMO, grass-fed beef, pasture chicken, and pork on our family farm. 
Everything that we grow is raised with love and care to ensure the highest quality and nutrition for our family and customers. You can shop online at taylorfamilyfarmtn.com or visit our farm store in person at Etheridge, Tennessee at 301 Dave Reisner Road. That's taylorfamilyfarmtn.com for more information. Celebrate you with a new vehicle from Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Columbia. We have a huge selection of new vehicles waiting for you. We're talking cars, trucks, and SUVs. And if you're in the business of selling your vehicle, we've got you covered. We'll buy from you even if you don't buy from us. At Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Columbia, we're locally owned and operated and proud to serve our community as the largest CDJR dealership in Tennessee. Find your new ride today when you visit Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Columbia. Terry Tillis from Tillis Jewelry. Let's talk about antique versus vintage jewelry. Did you know antique jewelry is over 100 years old and vintage is 50 to 100 years? Tillis Jewelry, located downtown Columbia, has a wonderful collection from Georgian, Victorian, Edwardian, and Art Deco. We select every piece for their timeless beauty. Stop by and select your favorite piece. Jewelry to last a lifetime. Remember, Tillis Jewelry, your antique and vintage jewelry store. American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning is built to a higher standard, so you can focus on the problems in your life that actually matter, like the stair that only creaks when everyone else in the house is asleep. American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning, built to a higher standard. Call Davis Heating and Cooling at 931-388-2090 for all your home comfort needs. Davis Heating and Cooling is your local American Standard dealer and proudly serves the Murray County area. Find Davis Heating and Cooling online and on Facebook or call today, 388-2090. Hey, this is Trip Stoltz, owner and manager of Columbia Ace Hardware. Spring is here and we are ready. We carry a full line of steel, echo, and chandala yard equipment. We also have a great selection of grass seed, fertilizer, and garden supplies. With the most knowledgeable sales staff in southern middle Tennessee, come check us out at 112 East James Campbell Boulevard, Columbia, Tennessee. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. Hello, this is John McEwen with McEwen Group Real Estate, located at 17A Public Square in beautiful downtown Columbia. Our family has over 40 years' experience selling farms, residential, recreational, and all types of real estate here in Middle Tennessee. Check us out online at McEwenGroup.com or on Facebook and Instagram at McEwen Group, or give me a call today at 931-628-1749. McEwen Group, land is your legacy. What's your favorite radio station? 101.7 WKOM. <laughs> You're listening to your local radio. Hey, welcome back. Welcome back from the break. You are listening to Bulletproof Estate Planning. I am your host, Estate Plan Stan. And before break time, we were talking about divestments. The one we were right there at the the break time was the debt forgiveness. You know, those of you who have listened to me from the beginning, in the very beginning of um, my show here on WKOM, I talked a little bit about myself. And one of the things I mentioned was you know, after I practiced, after I got licensed to practice law, which remember I said was a second career for me, but for the first 10 years or so, 
all I did was exclusively criminal defense work and some other stuff. Well, when you do that kind of work, you often don't get paid or you got to struggle to get paid. And, you know, I, a trick I heard, I don't even think I ever actually did it, but I knew somebody that they had a client that owed them money. I don't know, $5,000. And no matter what they did, they couldn't get it paid. And, you know, if we sue for payment as attorneys, that causes us some issues. And so we don't like to do it, which we have to. And even when we have to, we kind of don't do it. But another attorney was telling me, at a, it was like a CLE class or something. He said, well, I'm never going to collect this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to fill in a, fill out a debt forgiveness form and send it into the IRS. To the IRS. And if this guy doesn't want to pay me $5,000, let's see how he feels about paying taxes on that $5,000 worth of income he just got. So, you know, the IRS says if you forgive a debt, if you, if you give it up, well, the person that you forgave it for, it's like they have that much income. If they owe it, they're not going to charge you income on it. But if you all of a sudden don't owe it anymore, then you get to keep it. They're going to hit you for extra income. Well, it kind of works a little differently with 10 care, just the opposite. So if you, if you, okay, let's say you're the father, your son borrows $50,000 from you for whatever reason, buy land, start a business, who knows? He borrows it. And the intent is to pay it back. And let's say he never does, or let's say he does pay some of it back. And now he owes, you know, you're at 35,000 due and you decide to say, you know what? I'm just going to forgive. Don't bother paying me anymore. I'm going to forgive the $35,000 you owe me. Well, if that happens, of course, within five years, that's going to be considered a divestment. They're going to consider the fact that you, I mean, whether it's five years or not, that's a divestment. You gave, that's, they're going to look at that as if you gave your son $35,000. Makes sense, right? Now, it's it's a divestment no matter when you do it, but it's a divestment that will cause trouble if you do it within the five-year look-back rule, Right? Because they're going to impose a penalty period if it's then. So be careful of that. Just a lot of people think they're being clever and I'm just going to forgive this debt and then I don't have that money and they can't take it. Well, they can't take it, but they can sort of make you private pay and they'll get it that way. All right, another way is purchasing certain life insurance. Uh, now, here's one that I don't see this often, but I'm going to throw it out there because it, it exists. You know, when you purchase life insurance, that can create a divestment. Now, the best illustration I've ever found of this, there's a case that um, uh, came out of Illinois. Uh, let's see, the style of the case was um, Manhattan versus State. Uh, it's an Illinois Court of, Appellate, a Court of Appeals case. And here's what, here's what, a nursing home resident, okay, a person that's in a nursing home, bought a, what, a single premium whole life insurance policy. Now, you can buy term life. That's not what we're talking about. When you buy whole life, you buy something that you have ownership in and create a cash surrender value, right? So they bought a whole life insurance policy. It was a single premium, one one shot deal of $164,000. And she named her son as the death beneficiary. All right. Now, two weeks later, she's in the nursing home, right? So two weeks later, she applies for Medicaid, applies for the Medicaid in, in Illinois, whatever they, they call that. So the state determined that the purchase of this life insurance policy was a transfer for less than market value. And they imposed a penalty period. All right. So the, it goes to court. They appeal it. The court's rejecting the argument that it was a fair market value transaction. Okay? They, she's trying to say that, hey, I paid all this money for it. And what I got in return for it was a death benefit that goes to my children. The court rejected that argument because 
she didn't re- they said she didn't receive anything of equal functional value from the purchase. She didn't. She got the death benefit for her kid, but she didn't get it. So, uh, you know, they said not you know the resulting asset it wasn't exempt from accountability towards the spend down, nor was uh, the the extent of it was it what, did she have to actually pay for it? So it ended up being one hundred sixty four thousand dollar divestment. Uh, one more that I'll cover is the last one for t- that we'll get in tonight, but I got a few more. But uh, we'll call it transferring income. You know, transfer penalties when they were first introduced back in 1988, they they only applied to assets. Well, since then, it's been expanded to what we call resources, which includes both assets and income. It's the same concept. If you lower your income, refuse income, or transfer the source of income away, you know, transfer that money away that would otherwise go towards your share of cost at the nursing home. Because remember I said before, uh, usually your income goes to the cost of care. If you're single, all of it goes to the cost of care. If you're married, depending on what the other spouse is making, we can shift some of your income to your spouse. Maybe not all of it, but some. But so anything you shift, anything like that, uh, it's considered a divestment because you're giving it away. Here's a good example. Um, a federal court case. You had this woman, she consented to having her monthly spousal support. Now that's alimony in most states. Her spousal support, she consented to have it reduced from $2,055 a month to $1,500 a month. So she dropped it down $555, right? Well, the reduction was done by consent and agreement that she did with her former spouse. So the Medicaid department uh, uh, just assessed a penalty for that transfer of income, and a transfer was upheld by the courts. Okay, that's a good example. Uh, it comes from a case called Deal versus Velez et al. Um, that was actually out of the United States District Court um, for the District of, of New Jersey. All right, so, you know, these are different divestments, and there's different ways to do it. And when you make a divestment, like I said, it's not necessarily the end of the world. Not all divestments are bad. Uh, only the divestments that are done in the last five years are the ones that can be bad. I mean, there's ways we can make it work for us, but for the most part, these divestments in the last five years can cause us trouble. So if we're going to make a divestment in the last five, within five years of going into the nursing home, which is what we do when we're doing crisis planning, we want to do them in a way that they don't have a bad effect. There's something we can make them work for us. So, all right, listen, I'm about out of time. You know, so listen, if you if what you heard this week, and if that's piqued your interest or got your attention, I'm glad. That's my mission. My mission is to get the message out that when it comes to estate planning, you've got options. You have got lots of options. So if you have any questions about your own family circumstances, hey, I am more than happy to take the time to answer. So call my office at 931-363-7222. That's 931-366-7222. And you can um, schedule one of my 15-minute phone calls. That way, my time and attention is dedicated to your questions. That's 15 lawyer minutes, so that's usually more than 15 minutes. So, All right, the seminar coming up uh, Saturday, August the 19th. At 10 o'clock, we're going to have a seminar up in Franklin. It's called it's called Suite 501. So the actual address is uh, 416 Mary Lindsay Polk Drive, Suite 501, Franklin, Tennessee. That's what you can put into your Google, and that's what you can uh, that'll that'll get you there. 
And it's a nice little venue, but it's only, you know, it's limited in, it's limited in the, how many people we can put in there. So if you want on that RSVP list, call me or go to my website. You can go to estateplanstand.com. Uh, that's estateplanstand.com. And you can see when it is, you can RSVP from there. Remember, I always say, doing nothing has a predictable result. So let's do something, okay? Hey, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy the show as much as I enjoy doing it. I'll be back on Front Porch Radio, WKOM 101.7 FM, next Saturday night at 7 o'clock p.m. for the next episode of Bulletproof Estate Planning. And I am Estate Plan Stan. See you next week. Life gets busy and sometimes slowing down to buy your family quality food can seem impossible. This is Terry Taylor with Taylor Family Farm and we offer local home delivery in addition to our local drop locations to help with that problem. Now you can get your favorite pastured poultry, pork and grass-fed beef delivered right to your door. Visit taylorfamilyfarmtn.com to find out how. We believe in healthy food, healthy people and healthy community at Taylor Family Farm. Are you thinking about a new fence? Maybe you need a pole barn. Then you should give Sands Fence Company a call. That's 931-309-1644. Will Sands has built his business based on the principles of honesty, quality, and integrity. Sands Fence Company has been in business for over 20 years, providing the community with farm, residential, and commercial fencing, as well as pole barns and buildings. Call today for a free estimate. Sands Fence Company, 931-309-1644. 931-309-1644. For 40 years, the Jewelers Bench has worked hard for their customers and provided the highest quality jewelry at the best price. They keep going back. Recent renovations have allowed them to expand their inventory. More high quality jewelry, custom vintage and estate pieces, and professional jewelry and watch repairs. They also buy gold. The Jewelers Bench, still here, still great service. 808 Trotwood Avenue, Columbia. Hey, this is Derek Ransom with Ten Pin Alley, voted number one family entertainment center in Murray County. We offer 32 bowling lanes, giant arcade, laser tag, bumper cars, and a full cafe and bar menu. We also specialize in group events, kids and adult birthday parties, company parties, sports team parties, and holiday parties. We're located at 322 East James Campbell Boulevard in Columbia. Call us today at 931-381-BOWL or visit us at tenpin.com. Ten Pin Alley, it's where the good times roll. For the love of Tennessee at dawn. For the love of the fight. For the love of having nowhere else you'd rather be. For the love of Tennessee. Travel safe. Brought to you by the Tennessee Department of Tourist Development, the Tennessee Association of Broadcasters, and this station. Hello, class. I'm from the Tennessee Lottery and your professor for the next 30 seconds. So where do proceeds from playing the Tennessee Lottery go? If you answered education, you're at the top of your class. The Tennessee Lottery has raised more than $7 billion for education programs like Hope Scholarships, Tennessee Promise, and much more. 
Now for some easy homework, go to TNLottery.com and see how the Tennessee Lottery helps students. In honor of the dog days of summer, I've asked my best friend to tell you a little bit about the new 